Hi, everybody. Welcome back to COVID Convos. It's me, Andrew, the host of this show. And I am here with my friend, Melina Coogan, who is living on the exact opposite end of the country as me. She lives in Asheville, North Carolina. Lena, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Andrew, how are you doing? Um, just, just ducky. I'm just ducky. Um, we are, so <laughs> it's, it's strange. When I started this show, it was supposed to be about how people were dealing with COVID and then an entirely new, uh, <laughs> epidemic happened while we're also dealing with COVID. So it, it feels weird to, to have conversations about how COVID is affecting us when there's an entirely new, more, pro- more systematically dangerous and important thing than even COVID, which sounds weird, you know, like <laughs> COVID's killed a hundred thousand Americans, but at the same time, we are dealing with something that is much more systemic and, 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 rooted and dangerous but i don't know like so let's i guess we'll go to the beginning of of covid how has covid affected your life i you're not a new mother but you are a mother and you were also running your own business as a photographer and so how has covid changed those aspects of your life yeah okay okay well first thanks for starting this off by saying that because like right now, like so many of my white friends, um, really, honestly, I should just say so many of my friends have like the black square and we're sort of quote unquote muted right now on Instagram. The whole point being to stop distracting ourselves and to stop like kind of adding our white experience to the, to the other so that we can listen to other people. Um, so that's what, like a couple days old as, um, as a thing. And yet you and I've had this on like calendar for a little bit yeah now so um so thank you for saying that first and let me just let me just say i acknowledge the insane privilege from which i answered these questions from for what that's worth um so how did the covid covid start for me personally olive she's my daughter she's two and a half she was at the park and i was talking to my mom on the phone my mom lives in new york And she said, um, my mom said, you know, you should, whatever you guys are doing right now, you guys should head to the grocery store and stock up on some staples, maybe like two, three weeks worth of food. You might have to stay inside for about two to three weeks. And instantly I just grabbed all of (laughs) Yeah. Well, so my mom's an epidemiologist and uh, so she studies infectious diseases and, and diseases She's not actually an infectious disease epidemiologist, but I trust her, right? She knows her shit. Um, and sh- so we just, and this was in um, early March. So, or maybe even late February, to be honest. So that's the first time I remember it truly being on my radar. It's sort of when it was back when we called it the Wuhan virus, um, back before we knew better, I guess. Um, I-, I had been watching it sort of, watching it unfold, but mostly with like horror and curiosity and not, I didn't think it was coming from me somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, weeks. Of food. Uh, then I felt kind of weird doing it because I noticed other people in the store. There are certain other people doing the same type of shopping as I was just sort of like fast, 
lots and lots of bags of bags of rice kind of shopping, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was like, okay, I feel kind of weird doing this and not telling at least, I don't want to put it on Instagram because I mean, not Instagram, Facebook, because back then and was like, just so you guys know, it could be nothing, could be something, my mom, blah, blah, blah. And I just remember their reaction was real, like, really? And then I, maybe a few days later, a couple of them actually did go and buy food. But anyway, then I had a well-stocked pantry for about three weeks. And then I ate through it immediately and had to go back when everybody else went back. Yeah. But thanks, mom. Yeah, way to go, mom. I hope you're listening. Yeah, way to go, mom. I, I remember you posting that and thinking, you know, it, we were such, I mean, like you said, it was either late February or early March. I remember seeing you post that and thinking like, at this, you know, in the same time of like, we've gone through SARS and we've gone through the bird flu and we've gone through all these different things that were supposed to be these like, not supposed to be, but like people like, you know, epidemiologists and doctors are sort of trying to prepare us for the worst and say like, Hey, by the way, this could be really bad. You should, you should be prepared. And, and like, I was thinking like, yeah, okay. You know, we've had some bad ones before. Wink, wink. So I'll get, yeah, I did the same thing where like, I went to the grocery store, I got some pasta, I got some rice, I got some stuff that's going to last and thinking like, well, I'll be prepared for a month. Right. Cause then if it, if it goes that long, then like, at least I've been prepared, but I mean, how long is this really going to go? And here we are three months later and still like, I mean, the the phrase there's no end in sight is maybe even too much of like a, like, that's too hopeful. Like it's it, like, there may be no end in sight. There may, you know, this may continue, there may be no end. you know, like we may, this may be a part of our lives for oh, maybe forever, but you know, like things will change and we'll adapt. But at the same time, like, the idea that, oh, just have like a couple months worth of stuff is, is no longer um, good enough, I'd say. Right. And it's no longer outlandish. And, um, oh, what's that called when you like, oh, now I can't think of the word. When you like cry wolf or you, uh, oh, alarmist. Yes, that's the one. Words. Yes, words. Um, it no longer feels alarmist, right? It would, and now it feels just like totally, totally normal to have a, a huge, which a huge amount or, you know, like a good amount. Now a month is not, it's not even a huge amount of food. Are we kidding? Like right. just a good amount of food, you know, medicine. Yeah. So that, I, you know, I think that was February, honestly. Cause then once it hit in March, it was pretty fast. Like March 12th was, was my last photo shoot. March 14th was my birthday. That was my last gathering. I was supposed to go to New York. I, I was supposed to be traveling a lot during this time. Um, for my work. And I uh, just remember sort of them falling like, like dominoes because I was first supposed to go out to Seattle and San Francisco. So I remember like, I remember putting on, on our local Asheville, North Carolina, like Facebook group. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm a traveling photographer and all my shoots were on the West coast. Can you believe and they're all going to be, I can't go out there. So, you know, if anyone wants to do a photo shoot book with me now, cause I'll just work locally. Like, what was I thinking that it just would stop in Seattle, like very politely? I, so then I made all that to cancel those too. So <laughs> I think like we, I mean, I, it's it's so much in our nature, especially. And you know, you you brought up privilege, and I think you and I both being, um, mostly you know, 
half Asian, but mostly white Americans, like this sort of stuff doesn't usually affect us in this way. And so like the fact that our everyday lives were like disrupted in like a way that, you know, it, that like, it didn't just, it didn't last a week. It didn't last two weeks. It didn't last three weeks or a month. Like we, we were disrupted in a way that we are not used to as like people with a lot of privilege. And like, I, I was the same way where I was like, yeah, you know, like, uh, I had all these plans for like, you know, at the in in March when this happened, I was thinking like, well, by, by May, this will be over and I'll be able to go to like, you know, my wife and I are season ticket holders to the WNBA. So like, I was like, oh, we'll be able to go to storm games in May. Like this will all blow over. And it, it didn't even occur to me at the time that like it could shut down our like everything for so long. I was just like, well, yeah, by May we'll have it figured out. Well, you know, like, cause that's how everything works for us. Like things just like doors open, you know, things are, are fine. So it was just sort of like a, well, I mean, yeah, we'll have to deal with this for a month and it'll really suck. But at the end of it, we get to do our, th- our everything again. So I, I don't think you were alone in thinking like, well, you know, I won't be able to go to Seattle, but I'll be able to go to New York. It won't be a big problem. Or like even locally. Yeah. I'll be able to do these shoots with people locally. Cause you know, it'll be done by then. Yeah. I think, you know, everybody is talking about as we should be talking about this idea of performative allyship. Um, and it just hearing you say that, I feel like the, the tough things that I've lived through in my life with one exception that the, the chronic illness that I have was actually a really good teacher for me because people are used to, and in our circle, certainly in my circle, they're used to things being hard for maybe a week, like you're sick for a week and people know how to show up for a week and they know how to say the right things and they know how to be there. And I'm not diminishing that because that's great, but maybe a week, a month seems like, oh, she's still sick or oh, they're still going something through something bad. That seems like a long time. So if you're if you're then sick for like a year, there's no script anymore, right? right? And people people start to get maybe a little suspicious, like still sick, like you know, still having are we still going through this? Are we still having problems? So I feel like so without one exception of my illness aside, everything else that I've been through in my life that has been um, tough and, and like I can't even think of any particular examples right now, but. I feel like I feel like this idea of performative has you know like could really be used to describe all of it. So I'll tell you what I mean. Like if something bad happens, I'm like, okay, I know how to react. I literally like I know how to feel, I know what faces to make, I know what to say, I know not I know what not to say. Um I know how to write about it. so I sort of um had this idea of narrative in my head. You talk about something until people are kind of tired about hearing it. And maybe you've talked about it enough and then you move on and then you don't really go think about it again. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the antithesis of what we're talking, finally talking about on a national level here, which is this idea of like chronic racism, chronic systemic, systemic racism, which you never, the pe- people, I don't have to deal with this, but you never get a break from it. It never goes away. And um, so to bring it back to um, to COVID, and by the way, like obviously racism and COVID are go hand in hand and one is exposing the other. Right. Um, 
in a big way. But I feel like um, I almost expected the pandemic to play out in this way of like easy narrative. Oh my gosh, there's a pandemic. We're gonna we're gonna stay inside and we're gonna you know feel grim for a while and we're gonna talk about our our losses and we're gonna process our experience and we're gonna eat our food and eat a lot of rice and beans and it was just sort of like we're all doing it together alone together. It felt kind of performative um, because it was, but then it, it was because it. It was new and it was still, um, but, but as soon as it stopped being new after what, like three weeks or four weeks, it was like, oh, wait, but are we still going through this? Because I'm like, I'm kind of ready to move on. Like, you know, like I didn't, didn't I do it right? Like, didn't I show that I took it seriously and that I believe in science and that I stayed home, you know, and that I, I suffered a little bit and I rethought my priorities. Okay. I learned my lessons. Let's move on. Um, and for like kind of the, the second, first time I'm second time for me because like I said the illness doesn't go away even when you get older like that for me and my circle of people for the first time and we don't know how to process it right I think for a lot of people I mean this is like so much of how we deal with stuff is based on past experience and like this is, I mean, people talk about it as like, this is like the 1918 flu and there's just, there's so few people that were around during that time that can like pass on, you know, like how we did it then. And even then, like there's not a one-to-one about how life was in 1918 versus how life is in 2020. I mean, it's just like the, the differences in the way that life goes. I didn't, wasn't alive in 1918. I don't have like you know, real, I don't have even like written experience of like this person was alive in 1918. Here's how life was. I have no idea, but I imagine it was pretty different than today. So even if somebody were to say like, here's how we dealt with this in 1918, it would just be so different than how we deal with it today that I don't think that you can, you know, there's no playbook for how to have dealt with this. And, you know, we're all, like you said, we're all so used to putting in the effort for this amount of time that feels like the amount of time we're supposed to put it in. And then when that's over, we're supposed to get our treat at the end. Like we're supposed to be rewarded and, you know, told we did such a, you did such a good job. Thank you for doing your work for a month. Now it's over. And like you get your treat now and like, you know, good job. Now it's over and you get to go get your haircut and you can, you know, take your child to the park or, you know, you can go to the gym. Like that's, you know, I'm, thank you for your service for a month, but it's, uh, you know, your job's done. Now we move on. And I think for a lot of people, myself included, the idea of a month was like, like well, staggering, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, it's like, I was talking about performative. I think maybe that has stood out to me more than other people because I am a documentary family photographer. Mm-hmm. So my, my job and all my, and my training and what I do day in, day out, think about is to document families um, as a photojournalist would. So just going about their day, I don't alter anything. I don't change anything. I can't pose or suggest. I'm just along for the ride and taking, trying to make good pictures. So when this started, so I had to cancel all those, all those shoots um, for, well, 
not various reasons for one reason <laughs> for COVID, but I was able to really like, I was like, oh my gosh, like something interesting is happening in my lifetime to me, this, I, I got to document it. And so right away, I started putting my own emotions and my own thought process as a 35 year old woman onto my daughter, who's two and a half and taking pictures of her that what I felt reflected my feelings. So for example, I would like take her for a walk. And this was like day two, literally take her for a walk in the evening when this light is a little, like, it's just a little more melodramatic, you know? And I, I, got a picture of her looking out a window or like, you know, looking into a window, anything that I thought, thought sort of represented what was going on and what she must be feeling because her life has changed so much. Thing is, it was only day two. She didn't notice, <laughs> right. you know, she's two and a half. She also doesn't care. Right. She just wants to be around me and her dad. And we have this, you know, this great home and she's super happy. But I was trying, I was basically sort of like, um, you know, I was calling myself a photojournalist, but I was really manipulating the images, you know, like if she's looking out a window because she like sees a duck and she's looking out the window, and she's all happy. If she's serious looking, like she looks serious for one second, that's the picture that I'm going to put out there and be like, oh, look, she's looking out thinking about her future is going to be forever changed. So like I was really diving into that because I was sort of, uh, and this is before it, it, before it hit my family personally. And before, really before I really understood, I was sort of like, there was just so much novelty. I'm not going to say I was excited about it, but there was so much novelty that I was interested in it. Right. So, yeah. So those are the pictures I was kind of, you know, trying to make. And now it's so funny. It's like day 90 whatever and i'm like just uh, put your mask on so we can get a thing of milk like god this you know like i'm not yeah it's different now yeah i i remember i mean when i was i think i went to so i i have developed eye problems in my uh uh passing years and i was at my my retinal doctor i think in like early march and nobody was wearing a mask and there was no like i mean at the time the cdc hadn't even like put out the guideline of like you probably should be wearing a mask like it was just sort of a thing that i don't think a ton of people had thought of there were certainly some people who were ahead of the game and were doing it but at the time like the doctors weren't wearing masks and i wasn't wearing a mask and i was sitting there and you know i i remember like the the waiting room is just like packed full and there's so many people and like this is early march and i was just like i went in again a couple weeks ago for a checkup and just the the difference of like everything's different i'm i'm wearing a mask every doctor's wearing a mask they're all wearing gloves they have to like lysol every room after you've gone in and even the waiting room, like they're only allowing like two people into their waiting room versus last time I was there, there was maybe like 12 people just like crammed into this little waiting room. And I, I had a conversation with them about like, Hey, what's the protocol? I, I feel very strange about even going in. What's, you know, what's going to happen. They're like, Oh, don't worry. We, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, don't come in. But also like this is, these are the steps we've taken. And this is all within two months, you know, like the, the difference of like, how they were processing people, how they were doing all this stuff. And again, like this is early March. So like this is when it was beginning and the difference of like how much that's all changed in two months. And, you know, that may be how it is going forward, maybe forever, maybe for a year, who knows. But yeah, I think like, 
I, I mean, we were, like I said, I think you, like you said, probably we were like days in by that point. And like, same thing, I'd like go buy dog food for our dog or I'd go to the grocery store. Didn't even occur to me, wear a mask or, or keep, you know, like I was like, yeah, I should keep some distance between me and this person. But certainly not thinking about it in the way that I do even now, like where I won't leave the house without a mask or something covering my face. You know, if I'm walking on the sidewalk and somebody's coming the same way, I like dart into the street and make sure we don't even cross paths. And, you know, just like that, that aspect of it was all stuff that like, I don't know, I didn't even think about when this started. Like I, we went to a friend's birthday thing in like, I think I want like, I want to say on like March 10th. And like by March 14th, it was just like, you know, happy birthday, by the way, March 14th. Um, but uh, by that point, it was just like, don't even think about getting in a room with like anybody outside of your house. And like all that had changed so much in like days. Yeah, it went from being, um, I, I remember, you know, because I have so many ties to Seattle still, I still think of that as home and it's Seattle and my friends here in the Southeast, certainly the only one who was hitting refresh on CNN, just watching those, those Kirkland nursing homes. I mean, what a expansion, yeah. <laughs> but I just remember just hitting at first years two and then four and eight. And still, as it grew exponentially, I was still thinking like, wow, my poor city of Seattle. I hope Seattle's going to be okay. Right. But it certainly and, won't and go next anywhere thing else. We knew it was a new show. It was a very, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a very interesting um, experience. It is a very interesting experience watching the concept of exponential growth happen, you know? Yeah. I guess, um, so in your community in Asheville, like, so like you said, we, in Seattle, we were sort of like an epicenter in terms of Kirkland was like one of the first places to get what we know of as like the first cases of, of COVID in the country. How did, I mean, like we, you know, again, and it was the same sort of thing. Like we'd see some cases coming out of this nursing home in Kirkland. And it was sort of this thing of like, well, keep your eye on it. This could be bigger than we're imagining, but at the same time, like don't panic. But then as you know, within a week, it was all of a sudden it was not just in Seattle, but like everywhere. How did, how did, I mean, I know you said you were kind of keeping your eye on the ticker just cause you, you know, you have so many ties to Seattle, but in your community, like how did it, how were people changing their behavior? How did they take to the news? Did they take to the news? Are there, you know, what, what happened there? Yeah. Well, um, so community, I'm going to, obviously I'm going to talk about like my local community here in Asheville. Uh, I'm not talking about my community of all my families in the Northeast, because certainly it hit, hit them, hit us very differently than around here. It is changing now. Our Oh my goodness, our cases are going up so fast here in Buncombe County, here in Western North Carolina, here in Asheville, there's breakouts in the nursing homes. There wasn't. Um, I think our, it, they called it the stay home, stay safe mandate. That hit, I think, um, um, March 21st. Okay. So it definitely, my, my birthday was March 14th. I had some friends over. All our friends at this point were very aware. My One of my best friends here is from Spain. So while I was watching Seattle, she was watching Madrid. Wow. Um, and so she's 
super freaked out, even more so than than me even. Um, and I remember my birthday, um, same thing, this sort of performative idea, but we, <laughs> we touched elbows instead of shaking yeah. and we all sort of made a big deal about that. We're like, hey, let's all get us, we're touching elbows. And then we went with like, put our hands in the pretzel bowl, you know, like right. these token things, we just didn't get it. Of course, I don't, first of all, I don't blame myself for not getting it at that point um, by not understanding it because I, this is so unprecedented, but it also, um, we were also way ahead. My friends and I, when we were doing the elbow bump at my birthday party, March 14th, we were about a week ahead of the rest of Asheville, at least just talking about it. And then we had this, this gathering and, um, it was really small. It was like, you know, six small families. Most of my, most of my friends have one kid. And then Patty, my friend from Spain, she sent a text at the end of that evening to all of us that was like, well, that was the last gathering for us for two weeks, for two weeks. I think at this point we'd learned there was a dormant period of two weeks. For two weeks, we are all going to be, I mean, two weeks, we are going to be at home. We're not going to see anyone after two weeks. If you as well have been quarantined for two weeks, we'll get together one-on-one with this sort of quarantine bubble thing. Well, of course that never happened. We still really haven't seen each other. And that was months ago. Um, because yeah, like we said, this concept of two weeks sounded like a great uh, thing by then. So then my husband is a teacher, um, within a few days, maybe within a week, uh, schools were shut. We all thought it would be temporary. Um, I think most people just had to hit the grocery store, bought the toilet paper. It was really, I remember going to the the grocery store the week after like the week between March in mid-March. And it very quiet. Nobody was wearing masks, but it was very, very quiet. And everybody was, there was tons of people there and everybody had a ton of food in their cart. No one was seeing anything. That's the thing is we didn't really know exactly what was going on. Um, and then we were in our houses for the stay safe mandate. And Asheville is a definitely like a liberal bubble in, in North Carolina, mm-hmm. in Western North Carolina in particular. Um, so everybody not everybody, but most people, certainly everybody I knew didn't question the stay home mandate. They, they just stayed home. And then honestly, I don't know what it looked like downtown during those two weeks, um, two weeks in the last three months, because we haven't, we did not go anywhere. Yeah. I know what Asheville looks like downtown now because it has been completely reshaped yet again because of our, um, our protests. But so, so you asked since we just went home, we just stayed home. Yeah. And we did prevent, we did prevent, there was no, it was not a big hot spot at all. Um, we had a couple of cases. We had a couple of people in the hospital. There was always rumors about people in the hospital and staff getting sick. It may or may not have happened. I'm sure it did, but um, we didn't have any testing. So there's really, there's really no knowing. Now the cases are whoosh, going really high really fast yeah yeah i it we've been lucky i who knows what's going to happen now that you know people have been getting within close contact with each other now that protesting has happened and people are sort of forced into clusters against their will but you know it who knows in two weeks like what the case count will be like in seattle i know that like in the last month we've sort of plateaued a little bit which is you know in large part due to 
having a large spike at first and then people really doing their part to, to socially distant or stay socially distant and, and stay at home. But you know, it's, it's strange because like, obviously we're going through a time in our country that is, uh, it's perfect storm is the wrong term, but it kind of, you know, like there's so many things that are happening at once that make it possible for all of this to happen. The fact that, COVID is happening now, which means so many people are out of jobs, which means so many people have more time on their hands, which means so many more people are also, you know, feel, having felt left left or let down by our government and by the people in charge that they feel more passionate about being activated. And so there's just, it's this weird, like, amalgamation of all these things that if one thing wasn't happening, you know, like if COVID wasn't happening right now, would there be so many people that are, that would be downtown in our, in our downtowns or in our, you know, in front of city halls and things like that. Would that be possible without COVID happening? Would they have that sort of time on their hands? Would they have that sort of passion because of how feeling left out in the, in the dirt they do by people in charge that they would feel so passionate. And so, it's weird because we, you know, obviously the, uh, the, the scourge of, of people of color being killed and harassed and brutalized by law enforcement is not new. It didn't happen this month, but there's just, I think that the, the possibility for all these people to, to have a voice and to feel, more passionate about it because they're also in the midst of a pandemic. It's just so many things coming together at once that without one, one wouldn't be able to happen. Oh, I a hundred percent. First of all, people would be busy at work. I think they'd be maybe um, afraid of being fired from work or something like that. And uh, the other thing is that when life is normal, uh, there's, just so many personal distractions and um you know even people of of privilege and white people like myself like life is life still moves really fast and there's still a lot going on you know like you have a kid and a job and a partner and a, you know a couple of friends and it's like you just feel like your plate is full 100% of the time right um and so these terrible things we watched we watched horrific modern day lynchings happen and by we i mean me and you stew about it and you think about it for a day and then you are distracted by your own life. Um, and uh, there's much less distraction now. Yeah. Or even like that new thing came out on Netflix, you know, like there's just, there's so much to catch your eye in your mm-hmm. life. And you know, you're right. Like I think that there's so many people who would have normally gone to work on Monday after that first weekend of protesting that like, they would have been like, okay, we, you know, we went out Saturday, Sunday, but gosh, I really have work on Monday. So like, I can't be out again Monday night. Cause I have work Tuesday or, you know, whatever. And, right. you know, I'll sacrifice being tired at work on Monday, but I really can't do it all week. Now that like, <laughs> there's just like nowhere for you to go. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who just like, I'm going downtown again. I'm going to go, you know, I'm, I'm going to protest. I'm going to march. And, I, you know, yeah, and by the way, people have been lonely. Yeah. And so they go right. from seeing nobody yeah. to everybody yeah. all together, which um, may prove to be a, a look, I su- 
100% the, the protest by all means. Um, but we may, we may see a, quite the spike in COVID after this. Um, so my question, like whether or not to take Olive, cause it's, my husband works from home. I work, but I have a very, very flexible schedule. So it's me and Olive. Yeah. Whether or not to go downtown to the protest, she's two and a half. She won't keep a, a mask on. It's kind of, you know, 100% on my brain. I have the time, certainly. We have an 8 p.m. curfew in the city. Things have gotten super, uh, super ugly in Asheville at like starting at like 9.30 p.m. Yeah. So the, the idea of taking her in, the, in at night is not... Um, not a valid idea, yeah. but we have gone during the middle of the day, um, stood really far apart. It felt like we weren't even part of the protest because we were standing, you know, um, and stayed out there for just a little bit. And it, in the middle of the day, it's sort of like embers that like keeps itself going, both like 10, 20 people or 30 yeah. people or something like that. Um, but I, I just, what, <laughs> what kills me is this idea that um, minorities, people of color that, you know, they've, been crushed by covid so much worse than we have yeah um, and it's like my uncle died of it like we're not i'm not it's not like it hasn't touched me but not in the systemic way that it has um minority communities uh or and, and just i'm just hoping that somehow there are so many if there's going to be a huge another scourge of covid i'm just hoping it's a little more equally representative. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. I, I, yeah, I think that's something that, um, most people I think fundamentally know that, you know, this, I mean, every epidemic pandemic, it, it's, it hits our communities of color harder because they have less resources. And, you know, certainly, I have I have benefited from living in a place where like our our neighborhood is not is not packed in with each other. You know, like I can talk to my neighbor from my porch to their porch and we're, you know, 30 feet away from each other. And there's there are places, you know, within within our city, Seattle, within like other cities, especially like in New York, where like everybody's packed in much closer and especially in communities of color that they don't have the option of like being able to talk to their neighbor from a comfortable distance. So, you know, I, I, my ultimate wish is that like there is, you know, for some, some miracle of miracles, there's no spike in COVID at all. Right. Like I think we would all like that, but especially if I, I would hate for something where we are all fighting for people of color to then have a when if a covid spike happens again to then have it disproportionately affect people of color higher than non-people of color in a way that is devastating to the communities of color again you know we're that's all that's what i, I all, wish i could have worked yeah. <laughs> you said a lot better than me we're all, we're all fighting yeah. right you know like we're all fighting and yeah well that's it kind of Go ahead. Well, it's it. Um, are we helping or hurting? Right. It's like a very fine line to walk because I find like, okay, muted, muting yourself, quote unquote, on Instagram, helping, but then muting is also silence. Silence is hurting. Okay, so attending a rally for, with my kid who won't wear a mask, I'm showing up. I'm I'm helping, but what if we're what if we're we are carriers and we've given it to other people and it disproportionately affects them, hurting. Like that's 
um, that's sort of what white people are grappling with right now, I believe, at least within my friends, is we don't know how to deal. We don't know how to be real allies. Uh, we're trying. Sometimes we look like real assholes when we try. <laughs> yeah. I think we look worse when we don't try. Um, I'm not complaining because that's not worthy of complaint. Uh, it also is like, well, this idea that I, okay, okay, somebody tell me, I, I want to help somebody tell me what to do. Well, it's not anybody else's job yeah. to take time to tell me what to do. I got to figure that out by myself. Okay, I'm going to figure it out by myself. It, it does feel kind of like, I look, I'm not good at this. So at least I'll just admit that. Yeah. Uh, try to go for and not be too, too much of a dick. I think that, you know, with, I mean, you are raising a young daughter and- so I hate I hate the idea of like because you know it feels like people are still even though I think there are a lot of people who are activated and feeling very passionate I still feel like there's a lot of people who are also punting the ball down the field if you know to use a sports analogy and so when when people say like um the next generation is going to be so much better and like you know like to me that is it it's sort of like well I can't do anything about it now but Hey, the next, you know, the next they'll do. It. And yeah. so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean to like tell you, well, just, you know, worry about what Olive's going to do when she's an adult. But I think like taking her to the, you know, the protest in whatever way is like fundamentally good and also safe for everyone else. Like you said, like you might be a carrier, Olive might be a carrier and, if she's not around a bunch of people, because you're right. Like she doesn't know the concept of wearing a mask or like what that does for helping yeah. people. I mean, I, I think like she would like to not hurt people, but at the same time, like, I don't think, you know, it's the same reason why they close schools because kids, you can't tell a kid, like you can't go hug your friend because you might kill them. Like that's not a conversation right. you can necessarily have with, with children. And so then they how would you feel Olive if you killed your best friend. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And so you can't like just say to, you know, a child that thing, but like you're instilling in her this idea. And like, I think, you know, she may not carry all the memories with her for the rest of her life, but she may remember, you know, why she went downtown or maybe you'll have a conversation with her when she's older about like, she has this vague memory of going downtown and what happened. And these are all things that hopefully as parents, people will have with their children and be able to pass on and like, you know, again, I don't mean to say like, well, it's all on the shoulders of the next generation for, you know, we're, we're good. We'll, you know, we'll figure it out in 20 years. But I do think that there's going to be more and more, you know, things like this that are happening. I mean, we're going through two, what feels like two once in a lifetime um, events at the same time. And and they don't necessarily, while they're completely intertwined, one of them involves showing up of mass numbers and the other one involves staying home and being around no people. Yeah. The fact that they are happening at the same time is, is <laughs> it's mind blowing. It's my, it is mind blowing. You're right. And like the, yeah, the idea of you would, you would like for people to show up in mass numbers, but you'd also, yeah, you just don't want to get that many people sick also. It's just, it's so it's a hard thing to juggle. So I think, you know, there's so much of, of, you know, the kind of guilt that you and I are both feeling of like, what can we do? And like, for me, like 
I would love to be able to go and show up, but at the same time, like I am also immunocompromised. And like I for me, if I were to get sick, like I could very easily die. And that is again, that is a position of privilege that I come from where like there are people who don't make the decision to put themselves in a dangerous situation that die. And is it right for me to, to not show up? And so I have to kind of make that decision on my own and decide like, what is the thing I'm going to do? Am I going to, you know, like you said, there's performative things you can do on Instagram, but there's also things you can do where like, do you donate your money? Do you donate your resources? Do you sign petitions? And so I think, yes. Yeah. Don't, don't, uh, I don't want to come off sounding that anything, but taking your toddler into the midst of the protest, which I have not done anything, but that is performative. That's not what I mean at all. Oh, I know. And, and I know. For the rest, don't go get sick and die. Yeah, I, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I hope you know I didn't. I wasn't meaning that. That's what you were saying, and that I, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You hurt my feelings, but I. Well, there's I, so many layers of privilege because there's able ableism. There's you know there's there are people who are white, maybe who are super rich, who are immunocompromised. There, it's not worth it for them to go die right. to prove a point. Nobody needs a martyr. Nobody needs a white martyr. Right. Um, so yeah, there, there are plenty of healthy people who are much less at risk yeah. than you or than myself to go. But I think there's, I, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's complicated. And again, in the same thing with COVID, we haven't had to, we haven't had a situation like this where, I mean, again, systemic racism and police brutality against communities of color is not new, but it is like this moment is new. Like this moment of like of everybody feeling activated is relatively new and novel in a way that we've had marches, we've had rallies, but, you know, it hasn't felt like this before. So, like, I think people are feeling more like um, inspired to be activated and to do something and, and nothing feels enough. And like it shouldn't like we you know we should all feel like we are striving to do more i heard it on um a podcast i love called hysteria from crooked media and um what they were saying is basically find where you're comfortable go two steps beyond that and that is a good place to be your ad you know to be an advocate because for some people i mean another layer of like in my opinion privilege i have is between vermont where i grew up seattle where i went to school and even Asheville, um, and having the family I have, I, I live in a liberal, a complete bubble, and always have. And I don't even have anyone in my family that it can come to mind who makes Thanksgiving dinner really awkward, uh -huh. you know. Um, so sometimes, you know, I, sometimes I'll, I'll find myself thinking like, oh, okay, man, you're sharing sharing another liberal meme, huh? And I'm realizing, you know. That could be a huge deal for that person. I have no idea that the fact they're sharing this, you know, yeah. like I'm not going because that's way too comfortable for me because it's not going to affect anybody I know because everybody on my Facebook or whatever already feels this way. Um, and, you know, it's a little reductionist, blah, blah, blah. But that might be a huge step. It might be a first step for that person. Yeah. So wherever you're comfortable, two steps beyond that might be a good place to be. That's well said. Lena, I don't want to take up any, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you have a two and a half year old in the living room who is glued to the TV, but um She's reading books. She's reading a book? No, she's not. Okay. Just for the record. Um before we go, 
I know you have a Patreon, and if you want to get a quick plug out for your Patreon and and ways that people can support you and and things like that, go ahead, let her rip. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I'm a terrible marketer because I don't have a link in front of me, but I can I tell you what it is? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, if I think you can search Patreon. I, I'm a full-time documentary family photographer, uh, and, which is just a version of documentary or documentary photography kind of a less badass version of photojournalism to teach it something called image explained that's my patreon so what i'm what i started out at is posting pictures of mine and then revealing the settings the camera settings and explaining the concept behind it now it's sort of become more it's become more of a, a student teacher mentorship program you can kind of sign up for five bucks just to see the photos and learn not just the basics of photography, but I'm really sharing everything I know. I see no reason to hold back. <laughs> yeah, It's okay if I have competition. Who knows if we'll be able to do it again. Um, but anyway, and then you can join at a student level or you can do like a mentor ment- mentorship project with me. And it has been phenomenal. It has been such a success in that. I just love seeing everybody's photos. People are reaching their goals. They've had goals of um, getting, I guess, professional in that being paid for photos one way or the other or getting featured on hubs or just whatever and seeing people like reach their goals and take really good photos or starting to to tie it back to what we were talking about seeing students of mine go to protests and take badass documentary uh, photography has been huge that's cool so it's called image explained on patreon and i don't know if you do show notes but i can certainly send it to you it's one of those like patreon slash it's right. not a neat and tight I'll, I'll but can it, i share my website Say that again. Can I share my website? Yeah. So you can also just go to um, wildandbrightphotography.com to see my work. Great. Well, yeah. Lena, thank you so much for your time. And it was wonderful Andrew, talking to you. I we, we have been friends for 16 years. Is that possible? Long? I want to say longer than that. It yeah. feels like longer. Long, long time. Long time. Yeah, but it's... It's wonderful to catch up with you and and nice to see you. And we should talk again soon. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Lena. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. And I will put in the show notes, Lena's link to her Patreon. So don't forget to subscribe and stay safe out there and love you. Goodbye.